Support for Innovation Hub comes from Bunker Hill Community College Compelling Conversation Series with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on Religious Intolerance, October 26th. You can register at bhcc.edu slash cc. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. So rewind to July for a second. It's the middle of the night. You probably remember it or you remember hearing about it. And a bunch of mostly older guys are standing around, suits and ties, waiting to vote on a bill Mr. on Perdue. the floor of the Senate. Mr. Peters. And then at about 1.30 in the morning, everything changes. High drama on Capitol Hill. In a shocking vote early this morning, Senator John McCain delivering a death blow with a surprising no vote as Senate Republicans failed in a make-or-break effort to repeal Obamacare. Not long after that, Ross Baker, who's a political scientist at Rutgers University, was on a call talking about these dramatic healthcare debates that we're living through with an unusual person, a man who's retired from two sorts of boxing rings, a literal boxing ring and the U.S. Senate, a man named Harry Reid. Reid is the former Democratic leader of the Senate. He's from Nevada. And he offered up to Baker in that moment a pearl of wisdom. He said, you know, I saw McCain standing up there and I knew that he was casting that vote and giving political cover to at least five Republicans who would like to have voted no. But he was basically taking the bullet for them. Earlier in the night, reporters had pressed Senator McCain on how he was going to vote. Wait for the show, he said. President Trump, of course, has been pushing Senate Republicans to repeal Obamacare pretty much ever since he became president. And the fact that, as Harry Reid said, several senators may have sought cover behind McCain rather than voting how they actually wanted to vote, that could be a sign that bipartisanship is basically no longer possible. And maybe that's the situation in 2017. In one state, though, there's a major bipartisan experiment going on. And it's not a state that swings back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. It is a deep red state. But... While it is a Republican state, it's difficult to fit it into traditional ideological boxes because people are very comfortable with high levels of government spending and a large role for government. Andrew Kitchenman is a state government reporter for the public radio station KTOO in Juneau, Alaska. It's a Republican state with a little twist of something else. We're very aware of climate change. It's happening. There are uh, Alaska Native villages that are directly affected by rising sea levels. But at the same time, it's a state that depends as much on resource extraction as any state in the country. And if you're against resource extraction in Alaska, then you're, you're saying you're against jobs. So add that all up, and what do you get? A Republican governor named Bill Walker. Well, Republican-ish. In 2010, he ran as a Republican, and he challenged the sitting incumbent uh, Republican governor, Sean Parnell, and was defeated in the primary. He still wanted to be governor, and he saw that path essentially blocked. So four years later, when he decided to run again, he decided to run as an independent. That alone, running as an independent, would not have been enough to win Bill Walker the election. But remember, Republicans run against Democrats, and Democratic gubernatorial candidate Byron Mullot knew that in Alaska, Democrats can have a tough time. Both uh, Walker and Mullot were running in the 20 to 25 percent range, and uh, Governor Parnell was running a little bit less than 50 percent, about 40 percent. They sort of realized that if they 
work together, they might be able to, to win. And so Malat agreed to become Walker's lieutenant governor nominee. And so there was no Democrat in that election. They called themselves the unity ticket, not Republicans, not Democrats, and it worked. Walker and Malat got 48% of the vote, which was enough to win. Next year, they're up for re-election, and Alaska has been experimenting with this new brand of politics for the last few years. In 2010, centrist Senator Lisa Murkowski lost the Republican primary, but she still managed to keep her seat by running as a write-in candidate. And the only way she could make it work was to teach people to spell her name. The word is Murkowski. Could you please define that? Alaska senior senator in Washington who represents all Alaskans. Could you please use that in a sentence? To re-elect Lisa Murkowski, you must fill in the oval and write in her name. Murkowski, M-U-R-K-O-W-S-K-I. That is correct. Murkowski was one of three Republican senators, along with Senator John McCain and Susan Collins from Maine, to vote against the Obamacare repeal over the summer. She's also introduced some bipartisan bills into Congress, including one earlier this year aimed at reducing the high cost of energy and expanding renewables. So is what's cooking in Alaska something that could potentially spread? Let's go back to Rutgers professor Ross Baker, the one who was on the phone with Harry Reid when Reid analyzed McCain's dramatic middle-of-the-night vote. Baker said he's asked a bunch of senators, is bipartisanship dead? Well, to a man and a woman, they said it's not dead. It either They either said it right out straight, immediately, or in the course of the conversation. Baker is actually the author of a book called Is Bipartisanship Dead? A Report from the Senate. And he says when you're thinking about answering that question and whether indeed a new sort of bipartisanship could be created, there's one important thing to remember. President Trump is unusual. President Trump is really a party crasher. He has not been a recognizable Republican. I think that he feels in many ways closer to Schumer. Schumer's much more his kind of guy than is Paul Ryan, who I think he kind of looks upon as a sort of naive Boy Scout. We're talking there, of course, about Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader of the Senate, and Paul Ryan, the Republican Speaker of the House. Well, you know, it's really interesting because there's this old saying in in American politics that, you know, you, you dance with the one who brung you to the dance. And he's not. He's ditching his date. Baker says when he worked in the Senate, many Democrats were fans of their colleague Jeff Sessions, not on the issues, but as a person. And he, of course, went on to be Trump's first endorser in the Senate. And what he's received for all of this fidelity is basically a kick in the teeth. So like I said, President Trump is unusual. He's allied himself with Democrats in the past. He's contributed to Democrats. Actually, he's contributed a lot to Chuck Schumer. And now he's a conservative Republican, mostly. But you might want to stay tuned. So maybe the Alaska experiment is actually not all that crazy. Maybe we are living through a moment, strange as it might be, of bipartisan commingling. But Baker says, don't blink. You might miss it. I think that the periods of bipartisan cooperation are the rarities. And the periods of, 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 of polarization and, and partisanship are, are much more the norm. There are times in which they're kind of lulls between storms or perhaps the bipartisan periods are sort of the eye in the storm and the walls of the, of the eye are, are, are on either side of it. These are enduring issues uh, in American political life that started from the very beginning 
uh, debates over the proper scope of the federal government. I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was something that that was debated uh, at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the things that uh, James Madison had to reassure uh, Thomas Jefferson about that the uh, uh, that the federal government would not become as as one anti-federalist called it the uh, the the fetus of despotism. Uh, <laughs> That's quite a phrase. <laughs> That is quite a phrase. It's very, very 18th century. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and and I think since then, I mean, terrible debates over tariffs and uh, money uh, in the 19th century. Slavery mm-hmm. uh, right. obviously was tremendously divisive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, you had these times which when people tend to look back with some degree of nostalgia on periods of the uh, late 1960s, 1970s, and Part of the reason why there was more harmony was because the Democrats were the dominant force in Congress, mm-hmm. and, and they uh, had so many more members in both houses uh, than the Republicans that the Republicans were basically a uh, an afterthought, mm-hmm. that the Republicans got whatever sort of fell off the Democratic table. Right. And in fact, one of the, one of the reasons that Newt Gingrich came to power in the House of Representatives was that he basically accused. Uh, the Republican leadership of being, in a sense, quislings, of, of being collaborators mm-hmm. with the Democrats. And he and a group of other younger Republicans at the time uh, really kind of made the point that uh, that the party really wasn't very distinctive anymore. And mm-hmm. one of the things that makes a party distinctive is hard-edged ideology. Um, Professor Francis Lee from the University of Maryland has made the case, and I think it's a very persuasive one, that one of the reasons why um, congressional politics are so nasty is because the numbers are so close that in any given two-year uh, uh, congressional election period, uh, that majority con- control can change. And you kind of look at the last 20 years and there it is. So the idea really is to use the legislative process not to legislate but to bring up votes that are bound to embarrass members on the other side, force them to take a position which will then be used against them in their campaigns. And that's what increasingly it's it's all about. So it sounds like in some sense partisanship you think is sort of part of the fabric of America. I do think so. I think what's happened, of course, is that the, the language of partisanship has become much more harsh hmm. and that there are just a lot of fighting words. And I had an interesting conversation with a Democratic House member about the whole question of climate change. Uh, he serves on a committee that, that deals with uh, issues of the environment. And uh, I said, you know, how, how do you talk to the Republicans when, when clearly they, you know, deny the existence of climate change, call it a hoax and so on? He says, I just don't use the term. Right. He said, I, he said they love to talk about uh, renewables. He said, I'll talk to them about renewables. And that works. So we may have to deal with polarization by adopting a vocabulary of euphemisms. How about um, in state governments? Do you feel like state governments, you know, like when you're the governor, it's easier to be bipartisan than when you're, you know, in the sort of maelstrom of Washington? <laughs> you're, you're talking to somebody from New Jersey where all politics at the state level is, <laughs> is transactional. <laughs> You know, it's really interesting because if you really wanted a model of bipartisan cooperation, you would have to look at the relationship between Governor Chris Christie, a Republican, the governor of New Jersey, and the Democrats in the state uh, Senate and, and, uh, and Assembly. 
uh, mm-hmm. that the, the governor in New Jersey is constitutionally a very powerful office, uh, probably the most powerful governorship in the country. As a result, he has certain advantages over the legislature, but, but the history of, of Chris Christie's administration has been the enactment of legislation with a good deal of, of Democratic support. And that's mm-hmm. because they're, they want to do deals. Mm-hmm. Ideology plays very, very little role in state politics, at least in this state. In other states, it's, it's, it's much more important, but it's, it's the deals that, uh, that count, not the ideals. When people say, uh, voters say they want bipartisanship, do you think they really mean it? I think at a certain level, there's, I think, a sincere desire for people to work together, except if you are supporting a particular cause that brooks no compromise. Uh, you know, and you can name any number of issues, uh, whether it's background checks on firearms or abortion or, uh, you know, aid to parochial schools and so on, in which the lines are just drawn so starkly um, that it's kind of hard to see any kind of compromise at all. And it's important to understand they are not the only issues, that there is compromise and there's cooperation on a daily basis on many, many issues. So, again, it kind of gets back to this business of the language, the way you approach things, to find the proper euphemism that, that allows you to open a conversation with someone with a very, very different opinion, uh, and, or also just to kind of find the, the areas of agreement uh, that allow you and, and to achieve some of your objectives and, and, to, and to allow the institution to function in a more or less normal way. Ross Baker is a professor of political science at Rutgers, and he's the author of the book, Is Bipartisanship Dead? A report from the Senate. Ross, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, Kara. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. So one more thing about that phone conversation that Baker was having with Harry Reid. Even at that point, over the summer, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had spent months fighting over and over to repeal health care. Reid had had tough fights, too, when he was a leader in the Senate. And so Baker asked him a question. Didn't you really feel the little scintilla of sympathy for Mitch McConnell? He said, no, not one bit. He said, he deserved everything he got. So apparently, one thing everyone can agree on is that the other side should suffer. 